0: The sermon title is Power for Godliness, Power for Godliness, and I want to move through kind of the opening verses. Anytime you're in a new book, you're, you're reminded, okay, this is Peter, and uh, so I shared on Facebook earlier this week uh, when we started 1 Peter uh, over a year ago, I did an entire sermon that surveyed Peter's life, and uh, it is so helpful to have the man in view, the man behind the letter, because this, this man is a, a trophy of God's grace. Uh, a man who we can identify with, right? He was quick to speak and slow to listen. And he had to learn the hard way time and time again. But, oh, God's grace and his sustaining grace to bring him through the trials. And now, this is Grandpa Peter. This is Peter near the end. I mean, this is, he's writing here just a year maybe at, at most before he dies. So it's about a year after he wrote the book of First Peter He writes to the same audience again, and he begins this way. Our shared position, our shared position on your bulletin in the back, you can find the sermon notes, verses 1 and 2. Simon Peter, or Simeon Peter, as the ESV says, same name, same person, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, these are significant words that he begins with. One of the things you see in Peter is a display of humility. This man was so touched by the grace of his Savior Jesus, even in the midst of his failures, that whatever bravado he used to carry around has fallen and given way to a joyful humility. He calls himself, most literally here, a slave of Jesus Christ. He is a slave and an apostle. Now, this is a wonderful coming together of two realities in Peter's life. He brings, as as he writes these words to these dear Christians, he he writes with humility and authority. Now, you say, well, that can't go together. Yes, it should. Very much so. And it does in his words. This is a, a letter of love. It's a letter of strength, a letter of challenge. A letter of encouragement to these believers who are enduring, by the way, Neronian persecution. It's underway. Nero is likely on the scene and it is probably, uh, he, he's the one that, that killed Peter. Tradition holds that he was crucified upside down. Um, not long after, uh, the Apostle Paul as well. So right in the same period of time, Paul and Peter both killed hears his words from his heart. Listen to how he begins. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, to those. Who are those? Well, it's likely the, the same people that he wrote the first letter to. Uh, to those who are elect exiles. Remember um, that sermon in our uh, First Peter series. God's chosen, as it were that are scattered all over uh, the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, what's interesting about this is this is largely a Gentile audience, and yet there are some Jews mixed in. So Peter writes as a Jewish believer, a man who's been radically captured by Christ and sent out, commissioned as an apostle, but he's writing to largely Gentile audience. And I think it's fascinating how he, he, he encourages them in this. Listen to these words. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. That is so significant. When you consider Jews and Gentiles in Christ now together. A faith of equal standing with ours. Now, note the common introduction. I think he's basically saying a similar thing as he says in the opening of 1 Peter. Talking about the chosen. He's talking about the elect. Note this. They have obtained a faith of equal standing. Now, that means that there is no second class status among Christians. There is no, well, we're the Jews and we are believers. And then over here, there's the lower class, Gentiles. No, We are one people. Ephesians chapter 2. He has made from the two one new man. There is one church with one Savior, one salvation. And it is in Jesus Christ alone. No second class status in view. But let's go on and consider this word, obtained. Obtained. That's a significant word. Lankan. Lancano, I think, something like that. There's a little bit of a cough thing in there. Lancano, You know, don't spit, kids. Lancano, It means to obtain, or in the New American Standard, you can see this, received. Okay? So, where did this faith come from? A lot of people assume that when, when God calls people to salvation, He says, listen, I've done all the things that need to be done. You bring the faith. That is not what the Scriptures teach. It's simply not true. We are not expected to bring anything to the table. How could we bring faith if we're blind and our hearts are hard and we're dead? I mean, Lazarus in the grave, dead in our sins. This is a faith that has been obtained or received. It's the same word used in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 in him we have obtained an inheritance. You didn't bring this inheritance to the equation, you received it, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, this is significant. Why? Well, because we can, we can confuse the gospel if we get this wrong. Obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. So, what, what have we obtained? A faith of equal standing with ours. Note this in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved. That is a, a canopy description of salvation. That is unmerited favor. Now, Paul would not completely contradict what he just said in the very next three words or two words. Through faith. You, that, doesn't, that doesn't add up. If he's saying you bring the faith, but you're saved by grace, then Faith becomes meritorious. That is not true. Faith is not a meritorious cause. It is an instrumental cause. Much like if you had a smoothie with a straw in it. How do you get the smoothie in your mouth? Through the straw. The straw is the faith. It is not meritorious. It's instrumental. It moves the smoothie into your mouth. That's how God has chosen. Who gave you the straw? God. God gives the straw of faith, as it were. So, even the faith that saves is a gift of God's grace. I've said this before, but I want to reiterate it. It's so important. You've obtained a faith of equal standing. How? As a gift of God's grace. The very faith, Christian, that you hold today in Christ as Savior was bestowed upon you as a lavish gift, freely by God. No Boast? No, boast. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So that no one can boast. No one can boast. Hmm. What a start! Right in the very first words. Now he goes on. He says to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now this is a tremendously potent. Uh, description of the divinity of Christ. It's one of the clearest um, teachings of Christ's divinity in the New Testament. Peter himself is saying, not only is Jesus the Savior, He's God. He is our God and Savior. Same person, Jesus Christ. How is it that we have obtained this righteousness? We've obtained it through Him. This righteousness is ours and it comes through christ now one of the things you've got to remember i was talking with justin about this this past week salvation could be understood as a righteousness problem right we are not righteous god is and we will never be with him unless we are righteous well we can't be righteous we can't make ourselves righteous what are we going to do we must receive the righteousness of another. We need, as Paul would put it in, uh, in Romans, an alien righteousness. This righteousness has to come from outside of us. And this is exactly what Christ provides. Our sinless Savior, the Lamb without blemish. His righteousness is perfect. And it is the only hope for unrighteous sinners the world over. Sinners can be justified, that is, declared righteous, only in Christ. Because in Adam, all sin, all are dead. But in Christ, all are made to live. All who look to Jesus in faith are declared righteous. This is the work of God. So justification is monergistic. There is but one worker. When you were saved, God did it. That's why I like to ask people, uh, when I'm asking about their testimony, I say, listen, uh, when did God save you? That's the way I like to frame it. When did God save you? You don't say, when did you save yourself? Right? When did God save you? Fill me in. It's the right way to think about that moment that God moved us from death to life. But in sanctification now, there is a synergism, a two-worker, uh, Component. God is working and we are called to work. So we are saved monergistically, he is the worker, but we are sanctified synergistically. We work in his power to become what we already are positionally in Christ that is, righteous. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus our Lord. I love this, and and don't just just read past verses like this. This is not just a blessing, not just like, hey, how you doing? How was your week? Don't miss what he's saying here. Look at this. There is grace that God has for you. There there is peace that he has for you. How are you going to multiply that? This is an equation. How do you put the equation together? Knowledge of God. Knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So, knowing and growing are hand in hand. One of the reasons we make such a big deal about this book is because without it, you simply will not grow. You will not grow, Christian. You need to know Him. And as you behold Him, you will increasingly become like Him. Knowing is essential for growing. So, look at the connection. You multiply grace and peace in your life when you pursue God, when you pursue knowing Him, delighting in Him, treasuring Him, and walking with Him day by day. So important. What an intro. Now, let's go to verse 3. God's all-sufficient power. God's all-sufficient power. Peter says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What a statement. I just 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 sit there and consider those words. His divine power has grant has it has granted already everything you need as a believer to live in this life and to grow in godliness. What a mind-blowing reality. I like to think about this in terms of supply and demand. What is the demand? Well, Peter in 1 Peter 1.16, quoting from Leviticus, said this rightly. It is written, Christian, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That is the call to God's people. Old and New Testament. Well, how are we going to do that? H- how are we going to be holy? Now, remember, we're not talking about salvation, this is to believers, this is to the Christian who is positionally already righteous in Christ and called to progressively realize that position in his life, step by step, day by day, one degree of glory to another. How are we supposed to be holy as he is holy? Some people think of it in these terms. The cute this is a cool trike. I wish when I was a kid, I had one of these tough little tires. Have you noticed the front wheel on a trike is kind of important? Um, when it's tiny, man, you got to work. I mean, you're just the tiniest little, that's why I love the big wheel. I I was a kid when big wheels came out, man, we had that big wheel. We could move, but some people acro- approach the Christian life like this. Okay, Lord, you saved me, and now you put me on this trike, and you just, you just step back, and you're like, okay, be holy. Go get him. And it's as if somehow we're supposed to pedal this thing from Washington to Florida. Good luck with that. How, how far are you going to really make it? I'm going to do it. Nope, I'm going I'm to be holy today. Oh. Fail will Power alone is not enough. We need something more than what we have in us, what we bring to the table. Our resources can only get us so far. Oh, how many times in my own life and in the lives of those that I've shepherded have we, we just been on the trike and just like, oh, man, this is not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm pedaling so hard, and I feel like I've gone maybe 500 feet What is Peter saying? His divine power, his divine power has, Christian, already granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So instead of a trike, Christian, this is what you've been given. I'm talking a Tesla, okay? Now, if you're not a Tesla fan, that's okay. I'm talking a Model 3 Plaid, okay? This is the 0 to 60 in 2 seconds. This is... 200-plus-miles-per-hour Tesla, but it's not any Tesla. This Tesla never needs a charge. Think of this. His divine power, it never runs out. It is all-sufficient power. Imagine having a Tesla you never had to charge. You're called to drive. You get in, drive, push the pedal down, steer it, right? Blinkers, all of that. It's your responsibility. You are not called to supply the power. God has. He's supplied the power. How are you going to get from Washington to Florida? Drive that car. You don't have to stop and charge along the way. You never will run out of this power. It is all sufficient for everything you will face. This is good news, Christian. Really good news. We need this. Listen to how this plays out. In Paul's words, we exhorted each one of you, he says, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, how do we do that? Don't get on the trike, right? Get in the Tesla. Listen to how he does this. For this, I toil. There's work to be done. You've got to drive. You've got to focus. You've got to you know, apply the very things that he's provided. But how? Struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works in me. There is no shortage of power. The question is, are we tapping into that power? As we toil, are we toiling in our own strength? Or if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Not by the flesh, not by your own power, if by the Spirit... Leverage the power that's been provided, and you will progress. Kevin DeYoung said it this way, progress is possible because power is available. So often as believers, we get discouraged with our progress. We're not where we hope to be. And the reality is is that that's part of the struggle. That's part of the toil. But don't give up. Don't, Don't lose heart, Christian. You can grow in grace. God has provided what you need to grow in his grace. All sufficient power for life. That means every single situation you could face. Every situation. That that includes those horrible days, life-changing days that surprise you, that don't surprise God, but they come and they break on the scene and they tear at your heart. Tragedy and loss, physical ailments and death of loved ones, and loss of jobs and on and on. I mean, the, the nightmares are real, okay? But you have what you need in Christ to apply the pedal and grip the steering wheel in faith and trust Him and drive that car. It might not be 200 miles an hour. On most days, it's not, friends. It's uphill. But there is power. Godliness. There is no sin, Christian. There is no sin, no sin that you cannot kill with this power. You're not a slave anymore, you've been set free from sin. Called to live in the light and proclaim His excellencies. You've got to tap into the power. Grip that wheel. And stomp on that accelerator. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. There is no virtue that is impossible for you to grow in. There's power. Power for grace to transform your life. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? How? Through knowledge. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. What does this mean? It means that there is a source of power. The power source is Jesus Christ. And knowing Him. Knowing Him in relationship. I'm not just talking about some scientific dissection or, 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 you know, cold mind work. No, this is a relationship. This is a joyful devotion, dependence, reliance. Job says, I had heard of you, but now my eye sees you. Sometimes the knowing must come through the trial. Sometimes it takes a hill to realize how strong that car can be. When the power is applied, the power source is there. His name is Jesus. And He also is the perfect example. Look at this. He, he calls us to His own glory and excellence. What's the aim point of our holiness? What, how are we seeking to be transformed? We want to be transformed into His image, the image of Christ. He is the standard by which we aim. Nothing else. We aim to be like Him. Lord, make me like Your Son. Make me like Your Son, Jesus. I want to be more like Him today. Change me. Help me kill my sin. Help me love what is right. Help me bring to life that which is good and right and true. Hmm. The power source is also the perfect example. Now, verse 4. God's life-changing promises. This is... Really incredible stuff. This is like Peter's opening lines. I love it. He's just like, and my whole week my mind was blown. There's so much in these verses. Verse 4. Let me read verse 3 so you get the flow. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, that's Jesus, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them, that is through the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. We're scratching our head at what that means here. I'll get there in a second. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Let me start with the end. That took place the moment you were saved. You were set free from the power of sin. You were set free from the penalty of sin. The work is done. It is finished, right? The power of sin that once held you is now shattered. But the presence of sin remains. And therein is the battle. That is our fight. So, how do we fight? How do we apply the accelerator in this Tesla? What does it look like? On Monday or Tuesday, to do this, let's begin with this partakers of the divine nature, and clarify this. The whole passage is about godliness. Peter is talking about how we are to be holy and grow in godliness. This is not about becoming little gods, as the Word of Faith movement has um, s- s- purported to, to 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 teach. This we we are not divine. We, we will not be divine. We are the crea- created. There is the creator. You will never see that gap change. There is one God, and that's not us. However, we are not who we were. I've been crucified with Christ, Paul says. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, how? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I have a life, a new nature as it were. that that means that the deepest thing about me, my identity is now defined by the righteousness of Christ. That is radical change. The deepest thing used to be darkness, rebellion, and sin. Now it is light and glory and righteousness. Positionally, we are in Christ, but We are progressing day by day. That's the already. We are growing in grace, right? That's happening. That's underway. That's current. But we are not yet perfected. Someday we will be, either at death or at rapture. For us here, that's the reality. For all who are saved, all who believe in the name of Jesus Christ and are trusting Him as Savior and Lord, there is coming a day when you will be holy, without a doubt. You will be holy as you positionally already are as the Father looks upon you and sees his Son. But we are not yet there, and in this life, let's be clear, we cannot attain to a state of sinless perfection. There are some who mind-blowingly teach that, believe that. I still remember the the elder at my my dad's church growing up who told my dad that he hadn't sinned in a few years. (laughs) What? We were like, oh yeah, he has. <laughs> no, we, we, yeah. We all know. As we all know, don't we? We are all still sinners. Simul ustus et peccator, at the same time righteous and sinner. We are still sinners. We are saved and we are called to walk in obedience. And there's provision made for when we sin. We'll get there in a second. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Which means you're going to grow in grace. You're going to become more godly as you leverage these promises. Since you have escaped or having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is promise trusting power. This is, this is what puts the pedal to the floor in the Christian life. This is applying the power made available to you day by day, moment by moment. Let me give you some examples of this. Promises. The promises of God. How they meet us. Oh, friends, know Him. In His Word, know these promises. And watch the power of God move you forward in the Christian life. When you're worried or afraid, promise you keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. That's a promise. If you lack peace or you're worried or you're afraid, then leverage a promise. Cling to it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Promise He will straighten your path. He will make your path straight. When you're facing temptation, run to the promises of God. What is true and right and excellent. Psalm 1611 for me has been a weapon of victory. You make known to me the path of life. I'm not confused about what is light and what is dark. I don't have to wonder about that. I know it because you've shown it to me. And then he says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. I want to be there. I want to be there with no interruption. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You want to know pleasure? Run to God. Run to God. Don't run to the gutter and wallow around. We've been set free from that. Run to the Lord and delight in His presence. Matthew 5.8 is another weapon to bring to war in the fight against temptation. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says, for they shall see God. Lord, I want to be pure in heart. I want that. Help me to want it more than any other want that would come my way. You have to burn a bigger fire. Build a bigger fire. The pleasures of God far outweigh the short-lived pleasure of sin. When you're going through hard times, run to a promise. Run to His promises. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. You need promises in this life. It is what brings power to the equation. Leverage the promises. If you're struggling with uncertainty... You don't know what to choose. You're unsure what to do. You're in a situation and you could choose this or you could choose this. You, what, what college should I go to? This one or this one? Go to the Lord. Look to his promise. Look at this amazing promise in James 1:5. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Who gives generously to all without reproach? He's not gonna be like, oh, it's you again? Really? You need wisdom still? No, he doesn't do that. The reception is warm. Oh, yes, you're praying, you're looking to me. I love to give wisdom. Promise. It will be given to him. If you're addressing guilt and sin in your life, oh, what a promise this is. This is every day, Christian. We first John 1, 9 every day. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is so powerful in the Christian life. Don't wallow in failure and give up and throw in the towel. Oh, I guess I'm just lost. I forget it. I'm just going to wallow in my sin. No, don't do that. Go get power from the Lord and wash Him, uh, Watch Him, wash your guilt clean Hmm. If you're feeling weak and discouraged, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Oh, what a great reminder. Words of comfort, words of strength. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here's another one that I love. In fact, this verse shows up in all kinds of places in the Bible. It's one of my favorite ways to sing and pray to the Lord. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is who He is. Go to Him. Go to Him. Hmm. Peter says these promises in Scripture, and this is scratching the surface. Obviously, there, there are thousands of promises. He says they are precious and very great. What do you say? That's the question this morning. Do you treasure the promises of God like Peter treasured the promises of God? Do we, do we put that kind of value on them? Here, here's how I can tell you if you do. How much time were you in this book this week pursuing those promises? Now, you're like, oh great, now I'm on the trike again. <laughs> Don't go to the trike. Go to the Tesla, right? Go to Psalm 119 and read that this week. And pray as you read, make my heart love your promises like the heart of this psalmist. Make my heart sing for joy at these words in this book. Good Shepherd Bible Church, may we be a church of the Bible. People who love the Bible. People of God's Word, devoted to His Word, clinging to His promises. They are precious and, oh, they are very great. Not only the ones that speak of our salvation, but the ones that meet us in the moments of transformation day by day by day until he comes or takes us home. Our response this morning, I came across this picture and I thought, (laughs) there are times in the Christian life where I felt like this. This man is on a people mover in the airport laying face down and just riding. He he fell off the trike, right? He's given up. He's just riding. He's along for a ride. This is not the Christian life. That is not what we are called to. Peter says, my friends, get up. There is power, all sufficient power for you, not just to walk, but to run the race of faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Get your nose in His Word. Look to His promises day by day and run this race. Progress is possible because divine power is available. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank You for this encouragement. Oh, these words are so encouraging. Thank You for the lavish gift of power that you have bestowed and made available for we, your people, who are called to be holy and we know, Lord, that bar is high. It's not enough to look around and compare ourselves to one another. Nothing good comes from that. We are called to pursue the bar of your perfect holiness and be transformed by your power day by day. Lord, move us forward this week. Help us to progress. We know it won't be perfect, but we want to move. We want to run. We don't want to just lay down and and be lethargic in the Christian life. Help us to fight and kill sin. Help us to claim these promises and cling to them and leverage the power that you bring as we know you and trust you and depend upon you. We thank you for all these gifts. And Lord, we pray together, make us holy. Make us holy Help us to shine that we might declare the excellencies of Him who brought us out of the dark and set us in the light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.